This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Ephesians, so grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you would, this morning. Ephesians 6. We are winding down our series in Temple Alive together. We've been going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves uh, message number 52 this morning in our series. And so if you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. We also have a smartphone app. You can download to your phone and listen uh, that way as well. Whatever you do, stay on top of these messages. I know for a fact that they'll help you uh, walk with Jesus. The book of Ephesians is uh, written to uh, the church at Ephesus by Paul while he was in prison. Uh, the first, it's, it's arranged very neatly for us in the fact that the first three chapters are heavy doctrinally. They tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. We're now alive together because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Then the last uh, chapters four through six tell us now that we know who we are in Christ, here's how it changes our life. Uh, it changes the way that our marriage exists. It changes the way that Jesus' church functions. It changes the way that we parent our children. Uh, it changes the way that we interact with our coworkers at work, and it changes everything being alive now in Jesus Christ. As we get down to the end of the passage here, uh, we take a look at the armor of God. We've been taking a look at that over the last two weeks. Uh, that we'll wrap that up uh, this week uh, in part number three of this series, uh, kind of a mini-series, I guess you could say, on the armor of God. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." I remember as a kid, uh, I used to love watching kung fu movies. Uh, I, my dad was a Bruce Lee fan, and so I just kind of inherited that. And there's nothing better than seeing one guy take on like 10 at a time and win, right? It was always exciting to me. And so as a kid, I would make myself nunchucks out of paper towel rolls and things like that. I would uh, fashion myself swords out of anything cardboard that I could find. Uh, and I, I just loved the idea of being a ninja, I thought to myself, when I grow up one day, I want to be a ninja. People would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a ninja. Uh, and so I thought that that was like a real thing that you could do. Uh, imagine the disappointment that I found when I graduated high school and found out that I could not be a ninja. Disappointment, I tell you. Uh, but uh, I remember as a kid begging my parents to put me in karate because I thought karate is a sure pathway to uh, kung fu, which is a sure pathway to ninjutsu, uh, which is the... the 
obvious pathway to being totally awesome for the rest of your life. Uh, and so uh, my parents finally relented. I was probably in fourth grade or so uh, when they, they enrolled me in karate. Uh, I, f- I believe it was Shotokan or something like that. I took it for about a year or so. And I, I was greatly disappointed because the first six months that I was in there, they teach you all these forms that you have to do and all these different movements that you have to do. I just want to fight people with nunchucks, okay? Uh, they just let me do that. You can't do that. You got to go through all these forms. And they'd have like form competitions where he did this better and you didn't do that so well. And I always hated that but then we got to the really fun part the sparring part Uh, this is where you actually get to hit put on the gloves and hit people and kick people and it was so much fun I was so pumped up I was so excited about it until I got hit in the face the very first time I realized this is not fun like I want to be the guy that's hitting people in the face right Uh, I don't want to get hit and it's funny, sometimes people think the Christian life is gonna be so much fun because we're gonna go into battle, we're just gonna lay waste to everybody, and then they forget that they're gonna get punched in the face sometimes. What do you do when you get punched in the face? How do you recover from that? Uh, the Bible tells us. The Bible says that the Christian life is a battle. It is a fight. And, and unfortunately, some people get into Christianity thinking that it makes all their problems go away. No, you just now have a new way to deal with the problems that you have because now we have a guidebook to follow God's word. And so God tells us when we go into spiritual battle, here's how you prepare for battle, here's how you stand in battle, here's how you fight in battle. The great thing about the fights that we endure in the Christian life is that we've been guaranteed victory. God has promised you will win, but you have to follow the guidelines. Again, we're promised victory as long as we keep the rules of engagement. When you step outside of God's rules, you are no longer a guaranteed victory. Most of the times you're guaranteed defeat when you go against God, guaranteed just about every time. Paul writes this letter from uh, prison to the church at Ephesus, and some uh, people have surmised that maybe Paul was sitting in uh, prison and he looks over at a Roman guard who's standing there uh, in prison and begins to look at his armor that he's wearing, this Roman uh, soldier, and begins to, to break it down how we as Christians can put on the armor of God and stand against the fight against the enemy. We take a look over the last two weeks at the belt of truth, which is faith in the word of God. Again, when it says gird up your loins, it's really talking more of a a belt that we would put on. In in biblical times, they would wear long flowing robes. And when it came time to fight, when it came time to run, when it came time to get down to business, they would take their, their robe and they would bring it up and they would roll it and they would tuck it inside their belt or this girding of their loins. And think of it this way, when he, anytime someone said gird up your loins, think of it as rolling up your sleeves and getting down to business. Uh, this means something's about to happen and you need to be ready to move quickly. And the Bible tells us that that is faith in the word of God. That holds everything together. If we don't have this book here, we have nothing to stand on. And so, but because we have this book, we have everything to stand on. This is the foundational for everything that we do. We as Bible-believing Christians believe that the Bible is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. What I do, what I believe, the Bible always has the final say. Now, if you don't want to follow in line with what the Bible says, then you can't gird up your loins with truth. It's a faith in the Word of God that God's Word is good and it is exactly what we need. Next, we see the breastplate of righteousness. We're going through these by way of review. Uh, we spent a week on uh, these first two uh, pieces of the armor. If you missed those, get caught up. But the breastplate of righteousness is now that I have the word of God, now that I've agreed that the word of God is truth, I'm now going to obey the word of God 
the breastplate of righteousness. This protects my heart and all my vital organs. If I choose to disobey the word of God, I take off the breastplate of righteousness and I am now vulnerable to any attack that comes my way. And these attacks will not be simple flesh wounds. They will be mortal wounds that will take you out with a quickness. Again, if you ever get the idea that you can outsmart the word of God, or that the Bible doesn't apply to you, you have forsaken the breastplate of righteousness. But if you say, I don't fully understand the Bible, but I believe it to be true. I don't fully understand how this will work out, but I believe God's promise is true. I don't really know how all this is gonna work, but I believe God's word and I choose to obey it. You have put on the breastplate of righteousness and you are now protected against the enemy. Again, you cannot disobey God's word and win. It never works. I guarantee you that. Next, we took a look at last week, the shoes of the gospel of peace. This is our confidence in our relationship with Jesus. Uh, This is knowing for sure that I am right with God. I have a right relationship with him. If you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel. You do not have on the breastplate of righteousness. You do not have on the belt of truth. And believe it or not, if you are not a child of God, you are fighting against God in this battle. You're an enemy of God. The Bible says Romans chapter five. So in this case here, if I know for sure that Jesus Christ is my savior, I know for sure that I'm a child of his, I now have sure footing. Uh, in, In biblical times, generally what they would do is they would put spikes on the bottom of their shoes that they wore to give them strong footing. Think of it like an athlete would wear cleats on the bottom of their shoe to give them firm footing. And so we're to stand with our feet firmly planted, knowing for sure that we have a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Next, we see the shield of faith. This is a trust in God's protection. Now, in the Bible times, there were two different types of shields. There was a a buckler, which was a small circular shield that could be used for offense as well as defense. And then there was this shield that it speaks of, which would have been a larger, probably four foot by three foot shield that one could hold and stand behind for protection. The Bible says the fiery uh, darts of the enemy are coming your way and that the shield of faith will protect you against that. This is trust in God's protection. This is the belief that if I do things God's way and I trust in him, he's gonna handle the battle. I just have to stand in place. I'm not gonna give up any ground. I'm not gonna take off my armor. I'm not gonna try to find another way around this. I'm just going to stand with my shoulder in the shield of faith and trust that God's gonna work it all out. I love it when folks say, hey, pastor, I don't really know how this is gonna work out, but I believe that God's gonna handle it. That, that is the shield of faith, and that protects us because the devil's coming at you with doubt, disinformation, discouragement, depression, and if I can stand behind this shield saying, hey, none of that stuff is gonna rock me because I know for sure that God has this handled, that's the shield of faith, and it's gonna protect me. It's important to understand here as well If you're a parent, it's your responsibility to teach your children how to put on the armor of God and how to fight against spiritual wickedness. Because know this, they're not gonna be 18 years old and then need to know how to fight. They're gonna be like seven, eight. I was uh, talking with a man this past week who told me that he had had the talk with his boys. 
Uh, and he said, it was kind of awkward at first. He said, I got a book I read through. He said, me and my boys went on a hike and, and we talked about the talk. And I said, good for you, man, because I shared this statistic with him. The average age of the exposure to pornography in America is nine years old. Nine. That means if you have a nine or 10 years old, you're already behind if you haven't had the talk with them about purity and holiness and sexuality and things along those lines. And let me just tell you this, the devil does not take a break. The devil doesn't say, oh, they're young. I wanna, I'm gonna give them some time in the battle. He says, no, 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 they're young and impressionable. I'm gonna hit them with everything that I have. So we have to protect them. And we have to teach them, hey, here's why we believe what we believe. And here's how we can stand against evil things that come. And we have to teach and train our children how to fight because know this, mom and dad, there's coming a day where they cannot stand behind your faith anymore. They gotta have their own shield. There's gonna come a time where they're gonna outgrow the ability to stand behind dad's faith to protect our family. And they're gonna have to step out on that front line by themselves. And if you haven't appropriately outfitted them with the armor that they need, they're gonna get taken down with a quickness. It's, it's awful to see. It happens so many times you see families that raise their kids in church but never teach their kids about owning their own faith. They turn 18, 19 years old and they go their own direction and they, they cast off their faith and they no longer wanna follow God and they get taken down at 18, 19 years old by an arrow to the, to the gut that was completely avoidable. So it's our responsibility to train our children. And, and dad, it's your responsibility to lead your house well. If you're a husband, it's your responsibility to make sure that your family's protected, that your wife knows how to fight and knows how to stand. And we do that by example. That's why we need to get together with other folks who are a little bit further down the road from us and learn from them and gain wisdom from them and find out how they fought these battles and how they've been victorious. As we get down here to uh, uh, verse number 16 where we're at today, above all, taking the shield of faith where you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We see, first of all, the helmet of salvation. This is our confidence in the gospel and of our salvation. And this protects our mind and our heart. There's certain parts of your body that if wounded, don't have a great opportunity to recover. There's certain parts of your body that if they get hit, it's immediate death for you. When we think of the, the armor that we wear, if, if a guy, say, for example, is wearing the wrong shoes and he gets a blister, he's gonna live. Hey, he, gets, uh, he steps on a, a nail and his foot gets infected, he's gonna live. Hey, you take his feet off, he can live. You take a spear to the heart, you're done. There's nothing anybody can do for you. You take a, a sledgehammer to the head, nothing anybody can do for you. So the helmet is important. The breastplate, really important because the helmet protects my mind and it protects my heart. First John chapter five, verse number 12 is in your notes, makes it really clear for us. He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. So you and I today can have assurance of our salvation because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You see, we came into this world fighting against God. We were on the enemy side because we have chosen to go our own way and do our own thing from, from uh, the youngest age that we can even remember. We sinned against God. 
And the Bible says that our sin makes us enemies with God. Our sin has also given us a consequence of a separation from God. God says, fine, you wanna fight against me, then I'm going to put you away from me for all of eternity. That's the penalty of our sin, separation from God in a place called hell. But the good news is God doesn't want you to be against him. God doesn't want you to be on the opposite team. And God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He wants you to be saved. And the only way that you can do that is through his son. Romans chapter five, verse number eight. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came and he died in your place to save you from your sin. He took upon himself the sins of the entire world and as he hung there on that cross and he shed his blood for my sins and yours, he said, it is finished. Some of the greatest words ever uttered in all of human history because Jesus Christ said, the sin debt has been paid. And he died, he was buried and he rose again the third day to prove that he was victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And because of that forgiveness that is offered, you and I have the opportunity to be saved. Notice I say it's offered. I didn't say that it was given. You have to receive it yourself. The Bible says that he made them sons and daughters to those that believed on his name. You have to choose to receive that forgiveness. You have to choose to receive that gift from Jesus Christ. And the day that you receive forgiveness, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against the holy God. I know I deserve to go to hell, but I'm asking Jesus today to save me and forgive me of my sins. The Bible says that you can be saved. Saved, born again. Those are two Bible words that talk about what takes place when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, this is so important because Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's the only way that you can go to heaven you can't be good enough to go to heaven. You can't do any enough good works or be religious enough to go to heaven. The only hope that you have for that is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Faith in Jesus Christ. Today, I hope you'll join us after the service. We're headed over to Alamona Beach Park to baptize. We have seven people being baptized today. That baptism is them saying, I have been saved. I am a child of God. I have been born again. And this is my commitment to walk with Jesus. The baptism waters cannot save anyone. This is not a religious uh, uh, exercise that's going to wash anyone's sins away. If you've ever been to Alamona Beach Park, the chances of you bringing something out rather than leaving something behind is greater, okay? I kid, I kid. Uh, but the idea that water can wash away our sins is just a preposterous idea. But the idea that the blood of the sinless Son of God could wash away our sins, that's a supernatural idea. And it's the only hope that you and I have for eternal life. But here's the problem. It's very clear in the Bible how one is saved. Romans chapter 10 tells us it's a belief in our heart and a confession with our mouth. It's a very simple to be saved. Uh, we had the opportunity on uh, Friday night, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a young lady who had come for our VBS program that night and, and share with her the gospel. And she got saved on, on Friday night. It was awesome. It was so simple. She said, you know, I've gone to church uh, my whole life. I've heard a lot of religious stuff uh, and it's really confusing. She said, this is so simple. The gospel is so easy to understand. So easy to understand. But, the devil wants you to doubt that. If you're saved, why would you be acting that way? Well, you prayed a prayer when you were 10 years old. What did you say in that prayer? Do you even remember? 
Did you just get feeling really guilty about what you had done and just say some prayer that you hoped would get you out of it? Did you really even mean that? Could God love somebody like you? If Jesus died for your sins, why are you continuing in your sin if you're really a child of his and all this doubt begins to come to your mind? And the devil begins to get you to question. If you've missed everything else in this whole study we've done on the armor of God, I want you to know this. The Bible says we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And the devil's number one scheme is lies, deceit, discouragement, and doubt. That's what he wants you to do to doubt the word of God, to doubt that you could be saved, to doubt that any of this is true, to doubt that you could even really be saved. And it's the helmet of salvation because what comes into my head automatically goes to my heart. This is critical. What goes into my head goes to my heart. This is one of the reasons why we cannot trust our emotions. Our emotions will lead us astray. If it's a sunny day outside, mid-70s, the breeze is blowing, it's quiet outside, you think to yourself, today would be a great day to go to the beach. Oh, man, it'd be great. You think to yourself, man, to feel the, the warm sun on my skin, to be able to sit and listen to the waves crash and just be able to relax, that would be amazing. Then some of us remember that we have children and a day like that will never come for us, right? <laughs> but the thought is good, right? You think to yourself, oh, that would be so nice. But all it takes is a couple of storm clouds to come up in the, the sky. It begins to drizzle a little bit, then it begins to rain, and you're just like, oh, I think I'll stay in and watch Netflix, drink coffee, and take a nap, right? What changed? The weather. The weather changed your emotions and the weather changed your outlook on life. That's why you cannot trust your emotions. You can't. You ever had a day that was going so well, like you could think to yourself, this would be the best day ever, and then one thing happened, and it made it the worst day you've ever had in your entire life? What changed? One thing, but our emotions hinge on so much. That's why the Bible says you cannot trust your own heart. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs to protect your heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. So I have to protect the things that go into my head. That's why I need the helmet of salvation. I need to remember that I'm a child of God, that I am forgiven. There's nothing anybody can ever do to take that away from me because doubt will creep in and cause me to question everything. That's why it's so important what I listen to, the music that I listen to, the people that I listen to, the movies that I watch, the entertainment that I'm a part of, the places that I go, because what comes in my eyes and in my ears goes to my head, and whatever comes into my head automatically goes to my heart. And then whatever goes to my heart, here's the crazy thing, comes out eventually. It's funny, sometimes I'll be talking with folks, and, uh, and we'll be, throughout the conversation, we'll be talking, and uh, somebody will say a curse word, and they'll say, oh, Pastor, I'm sorry about that. I don't know where that came from. Oh, I know where it came from. It came from your heart, right? That's exactly where it came from. Oh, I, I usually don't talk like that. I don't know why I said that. You don't have to convince me. You, and here's the other thing I tell people too. You don't need to apologize to me. There's somebody else that, that is in need of the apology that has been sinned against. Think about that for a second. But it's funny, like, oh, I don't know where that came from. It came from your wicked, sinful heart. I was uh, working on our, uh, our van. I was changing the oil in it a few weeks ago. 
and I got this really nice uh, electric bottle jack that you plug into the uh, the cigarette lighter and automatically uh, lift your car up for you so that you don't have to sit there and jack the car up. I thought, man, this is so nice. Uh, and so uh, I can't even find out later that it's made in China, uh, which may or may not uh, have uh, factored into the rest of the story. And so um, I'm finishing up. I pull my jack stands out because you always, always use jack stands, always. Uh, and so if I've learned anything about being around cars, always use jack stands. And so I'm, I'm lifting the jack up so that I can pull the jack stand out. And when, as soon as I get the jack stand out, my bottle jack goes over on its side like that with my hand underneath it. And the van lands on top of my hand, which lands on top of the bottle jack and smashes my hand there. Now, I'm wearing rubber gloves at the time that are covered in oil because I changed the oil. And I think it's the only thing that kept my first two fingers because I think if it had hit that, it would just peeled it right off. It was, it was ugly. And so I'm sitting there going, Oh, my soul. And I got this glove on, and I don't want to take the glove off because I don't want to see what happened. And so uh, I'm moving it around. Nothing feels broken. It feels really swollen. Blood starts trickling out the bottom of the glove here. And I was just like, oh, this is not good. And so finally, I, I, I peeled it back. And sure enough, man, these two fingers are just split open. And I'm going to the emergency room, got 13 stitches out of it. It was a blast. Um, and so, but you know what the funny thing is? When that happened, I screamed, Oh, my soul. And some guy cry, like looks up across the street like, what's going on? I don't know about his business. One of the first 50 words that came out of my mouth that day was not a curse word. You know why? Because I have struggled for the last 15 years to keep those things out of my head and out of my heart. From the music that I listen to, the people that I spend time with, uh, the movies that I watch, I've struggled to keep those things out of my mind because I know they'll go to my heart and they'll eventually come out. Can you imagine changing the oil with your pastor and he hits his hand and an F word flies out? Can you imagine that? You'd be like, Phew. oh, sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> hey, it's eventually coming out. Just know that. The things that you think, the things that you hear, they go to your heart and they eventually come out. And if you begin to doubt that you're a child of God, it's gonna go to your heart and it's eventually gonna come out in your actions. I've seen people before who've turned their back on God. Well, I'm probably not a child of God anyway, so why do I have to live that way? And then it shows up in their lifestyle that they live. Hey, you can't afford it. Put on the helmet of salvation. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember that you're a child of God, that you have been saved. And here's the thing, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you need to be saved today. Don't put it off for another day. Don't think about it. It's funny, sometimes you go, well, I'm gonna pray about being saved. You don't have to pray about it. It's already settled. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be saved. And if you're not, for sure that you're saved today. Please don't leave without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and you can put on the helmet of salvation and now protect your head and your heart from the, the doubt, discouragement, and frustration that the devil sent in your way. The helmet protects us against doubt. We've been talking through that. <laughs> in uh, Job chapter 13, verse number 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him but I will maintain my own ways before him. Job says, hey, I know a lot of bad stuff has happened, but even if God killed me, I'd still trust him. Man, that's somebody who's sure of his standing with God. That's someone who's sure uh, that he is, uh, uh, has protected his mind and his heart against any type of doubt. The helmet also protects us against discouragement. Let me ask you this question. What would it cause you to quit? What would cause you to quit on God? What would it take? Loss of a job? 
loss of income, family drama, somebody disappoints you, what would it take for you to quit on Jesus? One of the joys of, of pastoring is getting to see people make really good decisions in their walk with Christ. Again, seven people being baptized today because they really want to follow Jesus in every area of their life. And it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to be a part of. I hope you'll join us for that celebration over there today. But you know what's frustrating sometimes is to see people who've been baptized but haven't been back to church in six months. Oh, they finished discipleship two years ago, but they never actually latched onto what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And sometimes it's frustrating to see people who quit on Jesus because doubt crept in. If I look you up 20 years from now, will I still find you faithful to Jesus? Will you still be serving him wherever you're at? Or will there, the first bad thing that comes around is gonna cause you to bail on God? You can't afford it. The helmet protects you against that. Hey, I know that whatever comes, I'm a child of God. I know that whatever comes, God loves me. I know whatever comes in this life is only preparing me for the next life when I get to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. I know that whatever comes my way, I can trust knowing that my Father has filtered everything out before it ever makes its way to me. And I have the faith to stand and I have a right relationship with God. And it protects us from discouragement and causes us to quit. You see, assurance of salvation gives us a confident expectation knowing that the battle is only temporary. Sometimes folks will come to who we call, they'll hear the gospel and say, I think I need to be saved. And then throughout the course of going through the gospel with them one verse at a time, uh, they'll say, well, I remember when I was a child, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, but I, I've, I've fallen off since then. You just need to know that you're always a child of God. And assurance of salvation will help us when the battle comes. It gives us a confident expectation. Uh, those words, confident expectation that you have in your notes, maybe draw quotes around those or put a star beside that because that's the definition of the Bible word hope. Sometimes people think of hope as kind of synonymous with the word wish. Uh, I hope pastor doesn't preach long today. Uh, I hope, you can hope for that all day long. Um, I hope the line isn't long at Starbucks. I hope traffic's not bad on Monday morning. That's just kind of like a wish. I'm, here's what I want and I hope it works out. The Bible word hope means a confident expectation. Uh, if you take a look at the verse that's in your notes here uh, this morning, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope, the confident expectation of salvation. This is what gives us hope. You see, security in Jesus gives us comfort knowing that we're never alone in the battle. <laughs> if I know that I'm a child of God, I know that Jesus Christ is uh, my, my brother, the Bible says, we are heirs together with Christ, that my brothers and sisters are with me in this fight, I'm never alone. If you've walked with Jesus for more than a week, there's been a time in your life where you felt like you were alone. I'm out here all by myself. I know no one. Nobody cares. I could fall off the face of the planet and nobody knows the difference. Hey, read through the book of Psalms and you'll find another man who felt the exact same way. It's normal to feel that way. It's not good, but it's normal because we think something's wrong with us. I feel so alone. What's wrong with me? No, no, no. The devil wants to isolate you, but God wants to remind you, you're never alone. Jesus has promised to always be with you. 
Jesus says in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, hey guys, it's a really good thing that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you who will never leave you. And regardless of my darkest day, I know inside of me I have the Holy Spirit of God who has promised to be my comforter through these times. And I can know because I'm a child of God that I am never alone in this battle. Another one that's so simple, it almost feels foolish to say it. Eternal life is good for eternity. You say, do you really have to say that? I, I think sometimes we do. Because there are certain portions of Christianity who would say, your eternal life is only good until you sin again. <laughs> well, uh, okay, what do you do then? Well, then you have to get saved again or repent again or something like that. And some people will say, well, it's not when you sin, it's if you're in sin. So there, in, in their estimation of the Bible, there's a line that you cross that once you cross that, you're no longer a child of God. You're, you're no longer saved and you've lost your salvation. I've got about a dozen problems with that, first of all. If I did nothing to gain my salvation, if it was truly by faith and by grace, I can do nothing to lose my salvation. I didn't get any, do anything to get it to begin with. I can't do anything to lose it at the same time. Secondly, if my salvation was based on my good behavior, it's not salvation by grace through faith. It's a salvation by works. And if it's by my works, then Jesus didn't have to die on the cross because I can just be good enough to go to heaven. Third problem that I have with this, if there's a line that one could cross and lose their salvation, Here's a really, really, really important question. Where's the line? And who decides what that line is? I was talking with a man several years ago, and I said, and he says, oh, you know, if you're in sin, you'll lose your salvation. Okay, what does that mean? It means if you continue in habitual sin, uh, and then, okay, uh, so let's say, for example, uh, I uh, go to a bar and get drunk. Do I lose my salvation? Well, probably not, okay? Uh, I go to a bar, get drunk, uh, and then give my phone number to a woman who's not my wife. Would I lose my salvation? Uh, probably not, okay? I go to a bar, get drunk, give my phone number to a woman who's not my wife, and I do a line of cocaine in the bathroom. Would I lose my salvation? Oh, probably. Okay, was it the line of cocaine, or was it getting drunk, or was it the phone number, or was it the combination of all three? Where is that line, and how do we delineate it? Hey, if there's a line that if you cross this line, you're going to hell, somebody needs to tell us where the line is, because it's a really important line. But if there is a God who is able to save us despite our wretched, sinful condition, by his grace, by his love for us, and he needs nothing from us to save us apart from our faith and repentance, then that is an almighty, all-powerful God that is able to save anybody. Anybody. You see, my salvation is not based on my behavior. Me keeping my salvation is not based on my behavior. If you want to simplify this, you could say, once saved, always saved. Because here's the, here's the thing that, that complicates this in a good way for you and I. The Bible says, and we're going to take a look at this tonight as we go through the book of Galatians, so I don't want to jump into it too far, but I'll give you this little nugget. The Bible says that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we become sons of God's adopted into his family. So you and I become 
children, sons and daughters of God, not born into his family, but adopted into his family. That's a big deal, you know why? Because now we have the full legal rights of sons and daughters. So if we're legally adopted into the family of God, then when we go too far in the sin category, God kicks us out of his family? Think of it this way. I tell my son, Van, I need you to take out the garbage. Okay, I'll get it in a minute. Van, I need you to take out the garbage. I'll get it in a minute. Van, you're no longer my son because you've refused to take out the garbage. Pack your stuff. Get out of the house. I'm taking your birth certificate. I'm ripping it up because I don't want my name associated with you. You're gone. Okay, Dad, I'm sorry. I'll take out the trash. Okay, you're a son again. It's fine. Come on back in. Just take out the garbage. Great. Hey, Van, clean up your room. I don't want you. Oh, pack your stuff. You're no longer a son. Can you imagine how much insecurity that would cause for a child? Can you imagine being a child of God that is so afraid of your father kicking you out of the family and banishing you to eternal torment in a place called hell because he got mad with the way that you handled something? That doesn't bring security. That brings unhealthy fear. That makes God somebody to be scared of. That he's sitting up there with a belt in his hand, smacking it on his hand saying, yeah, try me. Come on, try me. That's not the loving father of the Bible. The loving father of the Bible says, I want you to obey because I've got your best interest in mind. I want you to obey me because I know how all of this works and I'm gonna lead you down the path of the greatest joy. God's not waiting up in heaven with lightning bolts waiting to strike somebody dead when they step out of line. That's not the God of the Bible. John chapter five, Jesus says this, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That word condemnation is really important. It means you're never gonna see hell. You're never gonna be held responsible for your sin and what you've done wrong. You're no longer under the penalty of sin. Turn your Bibles back to John, John 3, 16, if you would. Moses, if you would know this passage, John 3, 16, Jesus is talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he's teaching him what it means to be born again. Once you get there in your Bible, you should circle star, underline verse number three. Really, 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 really super duper important. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's critical. And most of us would know John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, though, he says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten son of God. 16, 17, and 18 are so critical. Verse 18 says, if you're not a child of God, you're already on your way to hell. Condemnation is already upon you. I love verses, uh, verse number um, 36 as well. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Everything comes back to Jesus, everything. Notice it doesn't say here, be born again and continue to be faithful. Be born again and keep going to church. Be born again and continue to do the things you're supposed to do. We would refer to that as legalism. There's a list of rules you gotta follow to make sure that you stay saved. We don't have time to look through all the verses that are in your notes. I'll put probably a dozen or so verses that talk about what we refer to as eternal security, the idea that you will always be a child of God regardless of what you do. Now, here's the critical part. You really have to be a child of God. And if you, there's been a time in life where you have been legitimately, biblically saved, there's nothing anyone could ever do to take that away from you, ever. But the question is, were you legitimately, biblically saved? I think I raised my hand at a, at a youth gathering one time. I don't remember what happened. I just kind of raised my hand saying that I want to go to heaven. I think I'm saved. Probably not. Well, I remember my brother was in this group of people. The, there was 30 of us, and we repeated some prayer that the pastor said. And so I think my brother's saved because of that. He, he's never had any appetite for the things of God, never seen any spiritual fruit, has no desire for the things of God, hates God. Uh, but I think he might be saved because he was in that big group where we all repeated after the pastor probably not saved. But know this, once you are legitimately a child of God, there's nothing you can do to renounce your sonship. Well, what about someone who goes out and rebels hard against God? Maybe maybe they never were saved. I don't know if they ever were saved or not. I know that will never cause you to lose your sonship. Same example, I tell my son, Van, he says, hey, Dad, I'm sick of taking the garbage out. I'm sick of keeping my room clean. I'm going my own way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm moving out of the house. And by the way, don't call me king no more. I'm going to go by. I see little Vanny. <laughs> okay, great. Sounds good. I see little Vanny. I'm not your son anymore. Okay. And he goes out and gets into egregious, horrible, terrible sin. Question, do I still have a son? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to think he's my son, but he's my son. Making foolish life choices, still my son. I drive through Waikiki. I see him sitting down with a bunch of people smoking meth. Do I still have a son? Oh, it's breaking my heart to see him in his current condition. Do I still have a son? I see him passed out in the middle of the street on a sidewalk laying there, clothes ripped, torn, smelling funky. Do I still have a son? What would it take for me to renounce his sonship? I'm his dad. He will break my heart, but he's still my son. When you and I rebel against a holy God who has purchased you with the blood of his son, and he sees you in rebellion to him, it breaks his heart, but he's still got a son or he's still got a daughter. But it grieves him. It hurts him. You're better than this. You know better than this. You've been bought back from this. You no longer have to serve this. But you're still my son. You're still my daughter. You might think that you're not, but you are because there's nothing we can do to lose our salvation. Nothing. And again, I've got a dozen verses in your notes there to help you with that. If you've been legitimately saved, there's nothing you can do to lose that. Next, being saved means I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't have time to spend on this uh, here this morning. But Romans chapter six says, if you wanna serve sin after you're saved, go ahead, but you don't have to do that any longer. That you shouldn't want to serve your sin because you've been set free and the helmet of salvation protects me from this idea that I'm just a slave to my sin and there's nothing I can do. 
That's the helmet of salvation. Next, we see the sword of the Spirit. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, as he was being tempted by Satan in the desert, he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The sword of the Spirit is the utterance of speech that comes from God in his word. Philippians, or I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians here tells me, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The phrase, the word of God, uh, here, the way that it was used in the Greek language is not the same word of God as used elsewhere throughout Scripture, speaking of the Bible. The, the words that are actually translated here literally would have been translated the words that come from God. So this is you and I, this is crazy. And again, I didn't really know this until I was studying this out a few months ago. The sword of the spirit that we have is speaking aloud the word of God. Speaking aloud the word of God. People have said before, uh, if you want to hear from God, read his word. If you want to hear from God audibly, read it aloud. Because that's the only way that God speaks. God speaks through his word. And you and I have the ability to combat evil and stand in the battle by speaking the word of God. Hey, there's power in the spoken word of God. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you actually had to quote scripture out loud. Man, it's a powerful place to be because you know those are not your words, those are the words of God. This is not me and trying to muster up all the strength that I have. This is me calling down power from heaven. This is me taking the word of God. This is me calling in every bit of heavenly backup that I have, and I'm announcing that this is not in my power, but it's in the power of God. It's interesting that when it comes to the sword of the spirit, this is the only offensive weapon that we have. We have the belt of truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness. We have uh, the shield of faith. We have a helmet. This is the only offensive weapon that we have at our disposal. So if you want to stand, you can take everything else, but if you want to fight, you need the word. You want to inflict damage, use the word of God to do that. As a kid, my dad used to to always carry a pocket knife with him. Uh, And he would uh, collect a pocket knife for a while and he would get these, these, the ones where you fold out like three different blades on it. I thought it was kind of cool. And so uh, as I get a little bit older, uh, I started like picking up pocket knives when I went places. And, and so from time to time, I would get a, a knife that I would find online. Uh, and uh, I would get, these are a little bit bigger than a pocket knife, but I like the ones with the little flipper on the side where you can like flip them out because that feels really manly, like flip. Don't sit too close. Uh, flip out a blade like that. I found this one. This one's a, is a, there's a special one here because I got this one. I got this one at Walmart, but it's a Ruger pocket knife. Like I want a, a pocket knife that has a firearm on it. That's like really manly too, right? It has a little flipper on the side there. And so I got that one. Even for our men's conference a few years ago, we had our uh, our stronger logo put on one of these uh, pocket knives here. I don't think I have one of those, but I love, I love knives. They're fun. Um, I even bought this one here. This one, it was kind of cool because uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it has a little belt holster on it, right? So if I need to like put it there, I can do that. But here's the really cool part. You can like draw it like a pistol. And like you can like spin it around like that. Don't, don't, don't get too close. <laughs> but then it has like this little cord on it. This is the coolest part. This is the coolest part. It has a cord on it that you can tie into a necklace and like wear the knife upside down like this. Is that manly or what? Like I love it. I should have been 
I'm going to cut my leg off trying to get this thing back in here. But I thought that was cool. So uh, Amazon has that thing, you know, where it says, hey, here's some things that you might like. Uh, and you come across it. Thank you. I'll make sure I'll take care of that. Cut anybody's finger off. So, you know, Amazon has those things like, oh, we found some things that you might like. And so uh, I saw a cool knife on there. And so I said, man, I'll get it. It was like 20 bucks or something like that. It comes in the mail and my wife says, what have you done? You know, what do you mean? And she, and she was like, you've taken it to another level. I go, I don't know what you're talking about. And she brings this thing to me. <laughs> I don't even know if I can open it without cutting my hand off. Look at this. Like in the picture, it looked like it was like this big. And she was like, what are you going to do with that? I go, I don't know. I got to find something to do with it now, right? But like this is like a, it's like a six-inch blade. Like you can't, it has a belt clip on it. And, and, and funny thing is, I actually looked up the Hawaii state laws. As long as it's visible, you can carry it anywhere you want to carry it. And when you put it in your pocket, it becomes a concealed weapon. But that's why they have a belt clip for it. So you can wear a big, huge thing like this. Like that, See? And the worst part is I left it laying on our coffee table. And she was like, the kids are going to, like, cut their arm off for this. But I thought, what do you do with this? I don't really know, but I want to find something to do with it, right? And, like, compare that to this. What is this? Like, this is nothing now. I want this. You say, Pastor, where are you going with this? I'm going somewhere, right? I used to think that the sword of the Spirit was this big, huge, broad sword like knights would have. You know, and we could like go through and battle against people with this big, long sword. I need to learn how to wield my sword. And, and it'd be really good to have a good pose where you got your biceps flexing like this with your sword over the shoulder look, you know, with your big, huge, broad sword. That's not the sword of the spirit. You know what the sword of the spirit is? A six-inch maximum blade. <laughs> not really a sword, huh? But you know what the sword of the spirit was used for? to cut and thrust in close proximity. You say, well, that sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, here's what I thought of when I, when I realized this. The Christian life isn't some battle that we fight way off in the distance somewhere. It's just not like, oh, I think the devil's coming over there. I think that might be him that I see. I guess I better get ready. No, you wake up and the devil's got his hands around your throat. And you're in, need something for close quarters battle. That's the sword of the spirit. You need the word of God. Uh, several years ago, I was working out at a, a gym and the, uh, the owner of the gym had, take, had gone to uh, Schofield to do some uh, jujitsu training with the, the army infantry guys over there for their PT. And it was kind of just a fun thing that he did. And I remember the, the captain that was overseeing the, the unit there of the infantry guys. He said, Fellas, if we ever get in a position where we need to use what we're learning today for combat, we have failed miserably. <laughs> you got some army guys that needs to bash some guy in the face. Things have gone woefully wrong for them, right? Because they don't have to do that. You and I in spiritual battle, you're gonna wake up and the enemy's just gonna be right there all day long. And you gotta be ready for that. I have to have the resources that I need to fight in this battle. You see the word hit. Our heart keeps us from sin. The Bible tells us that in Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You need to know the word so that you can fight against temptation. The spoken word is effective against temptation. Jesus is the model for everything. And we see Jesus, he's tempted in the wilderness after he's fasted for 40 days. He got baptized, he went to the desert for 40 days, he fasted. 
And the devil comes at him and tempts him three times. Three times he was tempted. Three times he answered with scripture aloud. Hey, why don't you take that rock and turn it into bread? I know that you're hungry. Hey, it's written, man should not live by bread alone, but every mouth, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he continues the devil to tempt him three times and three times Jesus answers him with scripture. And the third time the devil just left him alone. So the word spoken is effective against temptation. The word also overpowers the enemy. The devil cannot stand against the word of God. Nothing he can do. The Bible tells us in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, We've got the helmet of salvation. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that my sins are forgiven and there's nothing anyone could ever do to take that away from me. I'm never gonna doubt. I'm never gonna be discouraged. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Next, I have the sword of the spirit. I have the word of God ready at my disposal, ready to do close quarters combat if I need to, ready at all times. I, and here's the thing. If you don't flick this thing open and know what you're doing, you'll cut your finger off. You don't use this thing appropriately, people get hurt. The funny thing about the word of God is if you don't know the word of God and how to use it effectively, you'll hurt yourself. People use Bible verses out of context all the time. The Bible says God's gonna prosper you. It doesn't look like he's prospered. You must be doing something wrong. Hmm. God says he's gonna take care of your needs, but it doesn't look like he's taking care of them. Maybe you're doing something wrong. Hmm. God says he's gonna work everything for your good. It doesn't look very good to me. Hmm. Must be doing something wrong. And people get hurt with stuff like that. So we have to, to take great care with it. You gotta know, your, know the word. That's why every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. You need to know the Bible so that you can know how to use it effectively. Final thoughts this morning. First of all, the helmet of salvation helps you to remember that you're a child of the king. My kids, before they go anywhere, they get the talk before they get out of the car. Yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please, thank you, remember your manners. I always tell them, hey, remember that you're a child of the king. The way that you live represents your heavenly father. <laughs> Secondly, I tell them this, remember that you are a king and that reflects on me, okay? Make sure you behave appropriately. But here's the thing, many times we forget that we're a child of the king and all we gotta do is say, hey, could you give me a hammer dish? And it's over and done with. Next, live like a child of the king. Hey, I'm gonna live under the authority of what God's given me. I'm gonna live within the guidelines of what God's given me, but also I'm gonna live in, live in the freedom that God's given me from my past life of sin. And I no longer have to live in fear because I'm a child of the king. Next, take God at his unwavering promise of eternal life. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, get that settled today. Know for sure that heaven's your home. And, and for those of us that are saved, live every day knowing that heaven is your home. Doubt is a joy killer every single time. Next, prepare your heart and mind by mega dosing on the word. Hey, if you're not reading the Bible, first of all, you're missing out. Secondly, if you're not reading the Bible, start today. I always tell people two minutes in the Bible is better than zero minutes in the Bible. But let me just tell you this. If you think that you're gonna be a tough, bad dude on the front lines of battle, taking the devil out at every turn that he comes and, and leading the charge on two minutes of Bible a day, you're sorely mistaken. You need more than that. Start somewhere. 
And, and here's the thing too, if you're not reading the Bible, please don't set up, I'm gonna start today reading 60 minutes a day. You won't make it through the week, okay? Trust me, I've tried, okay? Just start small and build on that, but mega dose on the word of God. And, and again, stay in the word. Next, memorize scripture in line with the temptations that you face. I always tell people if you're struggling with habitual sin, I don't care what it is. Romans chapter six, the whole thing, just memorize it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? It talks about not yielding ourselves as our bodies as members to unrighteousness, but yielding them as instruments to righteousness. You got a choice to make. And again, if I memorize scripture with that, Maybe you're one with a smart mouth. Maybe you're the one that when, uh, when somebody starts lobbing grenades your direction, you want to return fire right away. I always need to make sure that I get the last word in, or I, need, I always need to make sure that, that people don't walk all over me. Hey, I got a Bible verse for you. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Somebody, hey, starts lobbing grenades your direction. You say, oh, my bad, I'll take care of that. Oh, no worries, I got that. Hey, I prayed for you today. Hope your day's going well. Ooh, soft answer turns away wrath. Hey, you know what? In my Bible reading this morning, I read this passage of scripture and I prayed for you. Well, let me tell you that. That doesn't throw gasoline on the fire. That throws a big, huge bucket of sand on the fire. But you know, many times we don't want to do that. We want to have the last word. We thought it's a really good comeback in the shower that we're going to use, Right? Because you never get the good comeback in the moment. You always think about, oh, I should have said that. That would have been good. You put it in your back pocket for later. No. Hey, soft answer turns away wrath. I'm going to memorize scripture in line with the temptation that I'm facing. Final thought. When tempted, fight with your standing in Jesus and speaking the word of God. Man, I'm going to get my loins prepared I'm gonna pull up my robe, tuck it into my belt of truth because I know the battle's coming. I'm gonna put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm gonna obey the word and so that it protects all my vital organs that I have here. I'm going to uh, stand with my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm gonna screw my feet down and stand the line so that nothing comes my way. I'm going to stand behind the shield of faith trusting that God's gonna quench all those fiery darts of the enemy. I want to make sure I put on my helmet of salvation, remembering who I am in Jesus Christ, and I'm a child of his. Nobody can ever take that away from me. And when it comes time to throw down, I want to bring out the sword of the spirit. I got the word of God at the ready. And when the devil comes, I'm going to stick him in the gut with it. I'm going to stick it, take this. If you're squeamish, plug your ears. I'm going to stick this in the devil's ear, and I'm going to twist it around a couple of times, and I'm going to go on about my day. Why? Because I'm ready for battle. I know it's coming. I'm not going to be shocked when things don't work out the way I want them to tomorrow. I'm going to expect it. And I'm going to be ready to fight because God has given me all the resources I need to be victorious. This is how the Christian life is lived, one battle at a time. And I want to encourage you, be faithful in the battle. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. And then you get to come over to the winning side and fight alongside us. If you're in the battle today and it's getting hot and you're under fire, stand firm, link together with other brothers and sisters, continue to push forward because we've been promised the victory.
Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.